one of my favorite things that I that I got to experience. I went down to Cuba, and uh, Vinales is where they have all the tobacco yes. plantations, yeah, 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 yeah. tobacco farms, and they take you through the tobacco fields. They'll uh, roll cigars for you. But one of the cool things was the guy who was rolling our cigars. It, it's a, a a dirt floor, and he's under this wooden canopy. He had no shoes on, and so we're talking about what we do, and he's communicating in broken English, and we start talking about baseball. And he pulls up his cell phone, and he shows me his MLB at bat app, where he listens to all the broadcasts. I'm like, you're not gonna believe this, because this is what I do. And so we started talking about baseball and cigars. And I thought that was such a cool thing, because yes, we can communicate, via his broken English, but we can we, we found something to communicate on. Welcome to episode number one of the Burning Questions podcast, where we feature conversations about smokes, stories, and substance. I'm your host, Davis Lacey, and that voice you heard at the beginning of this episode is Ben Ingrams. Ben is the radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, as well as the Georgia Sportscaster of the Year. Ben and I recorded this episode when he joined us at the LJ Cigar Lounge back in January for a special event that we called Burn One with Ben. It sounds just like you're sitting at the lounge with us because you hear background laughter, cups clinking, cars from the street, and even some sirens. And if you're scoring at home, you'll hear me make a few errors. First, I lost count of how many times that I said, that's awesome, after Ben finished answering our question. It was too many. That's something for me to work on as I grow as a host. Second, when I'm talking about the official podcast of the Braves Radio Network, it's from the Braves booth, not behind the Braves booth. And third, Ben's Monster Mash home run call on Halloween night during the World Series actually was Freddie Freeman's third inning solo shot, not Adam Duvall's first inning Grand Slam. You can email me about other errors at hello at burningquestionspodcast.com. For now, that's enough from me. Without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Ben Ingram on the Burning Questions podcast. Let me ask you this one more cigar question before we get into you and radio and, and your career. You get the opportunity to go all over the country. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you smoke cigars all over the country. Where are some of the coolest spots that you've been to smoke cigars when you're on the road with the team? That's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, a lot of times it depends on where our off nights are. You know, the, the off nights are a big deal because we play 162 games in about 182 days. So if you have an off night, that means you're going to dinner, you're going to, you know, go do whatever you want. So anywhere we have an off night, we're typically going to have a cigar after dinner. But Miami's probably towards the top of that list. Uh, our pitching coach, Rick Kranitz, is, is really good friends with the guys at Padron there in Miami. And so whenever we go to Miami, Rick will grab whoever wants to go. It's usually three or four players. Maybe uh, I'll jump in there and some other people. And he'll take us in. We'll get the red carpet tour. And we'll come out of there just stocked. And the cool thing about the hotel we stay at in Miami, everybody's got a balcony. So you can hang out at the bar all you want and then go to the balcony of your own room. That's awesome. Or uh, we stay right on the beach in Miami, so you can smoke down on the beach. That's a good place. I know you and I have talked about a uh, place in Boston that mm-hmm. I like so much, Stanza de Cigari. It's, uh, uh, it's a cigar lounge in uh, Little Italy, basically, yep. in Boston. And it's a great place. It's, it, I feel like it's about the size of from that couch to this wall. It's like a little bunker. It's generous. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it's a great spot. 
And um, those are two places that, that come to mind. San Diego is a great spot because they've got, where we stay in San Diego, we're right next to the ballpark. And um, I'm a big breakfast guy. And I always say they got the best breakfast choices in the league. And I feel like there are multiple cigar stores along the way. So that's always a great place. So those are some of my favorites around the league. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about sports casting. Did you, did you know from an early age that you wanted to be a sports caster? Or were there other childhood dreams that you had? That was really it, um, which is kind of weird. I mean, the more I, look, the more I look back at it now and knowing what I know about you know, being an adult, I mean, so many people, I think about my brother and sister, it took, it took them forever to figure out what they wanted to do. And for me, I was just blessed with knowing, by the time I was about eight or nine years old, I, I knew I wanted to pursue this. I never really thought about a plan B. I never really thought about what if this doesn't work. It's just something was in me where it's like, I'm just gonna do this. And um, so when I was a kid, I mean, something that, and this really hacked off my brother and sister because they hated when I controlled the TV, but I, I, I'd mute the TV and I had a, a big boom box um, and I'd put a cassette tape in, press record, and I'd call the game, uh, whatever was on TV. And I'd have my sports page out with a box score from last night and I could see what players are who and That's awesome. all that. So it's, it, it, it's bizarre what kids will, will do. And, and I've seen that with, with buddies of mine's kids and such that, that grew, on, grew up and lo and behold, they ended up doing what they were gravitating towards when they were seven, eight, nine, ten years old. It doesn't always work out like that, but it's fun when it does. And um, I think it, it, it's, it's kind of reverse um, for how broadcasters usually pursue broadcasting. I think a lot of people realize by the time they're 17, 18, 19 years old, I've got the tools for this. Maybe they have a, a voice that's unique or maybe they like sports or whatever. I, I wanted to do this before I knew I'd have the tools for it. And I just pursued it, and the, the doors opened. And I think whatever you're pursuing, whether you have a passion for it or, or not, you still have to put in a lot of work. And I wanted to do that, and I was fortunate that everything that I wanted to accomplish in this, it just kind of fell in line and fell in place. That's awesome. What did it look like to make the transition from, you know, as a kid sitting in front of the TV with a sports page and a boombox to, okay, I'm really going to give this a go, and I'm going to prepare? Mm -hmm. What was your preparation process like? It's a lot of trial and error, that's for sure. I mean, the way that I get ready for a game now is completely different from how it would have been 20 years ago, whatever. I was, I was really lucky. This is, my mom calls these moments divine moments where something just happens that out of the blue is, favors you. And my, my dad is a real estate agent, and he, was, um, he, he had a, a couple of rental houses. And one of the guys who was renting out one of his homes was a local sports broadcaster. He did JUCO football and basketball and baseball and high school football, baseball and basketball. And my dad told him, hey, my son wants to get into this. I think I was maybe 17 years old at the time. And he took me under his wing and, and really showed me the ropes and let me call junior college football with him and uh, was, was hard on me. And I mean that in a good way. He, he wasn't afraid to hurt my feelings. He wasn't afraid to tell me, like, you got to change that or you <laughs> suck at this. Or, That's the worst I've ever heard. Which I, that, that, I gravitated towards that kind of tutelage, I guess. And it, it helped me because I was serious. And if, if I was going to be serious about it, so was he. And, and that's really how I started to learn the craft. And I think you come across certain people in your life, no matter what your walk of life is, that are almost like mile markers along the way, kind of pointing you towards the next person, the next chapter, the next challenge. 
and and you learn a lot, and that that's 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 a fun process, and that's where it started for me. That's awesome. Okay, so that kind of tutelage, and then you went to Mississippi College, mm -hmm. right? So Mississippi College, one of your choices there was the student radio program that they had. Right. I, I wasn't even going to go there. Um, it was. It's a smaller school. There's probably I don't know four or five thousand kids that go to school there. And one of my best friends was was going to go to school there, and he said, "Hey, there's a there's a high school seniors weekend this weekend, and uh, that you get to go there and stay in the dorms and check it out. Even if you're not going to school there, you got to just come and hang out." I'm like, sure, I'll do that. Absolutely. So I visited the communications department. And that's when I learned of their FM on campus radio station. It was run by students. They let the students host shows and uh, do production, and that also included play by play. So when I was in school there, I got to my sophomore year, they told me that uh, the guy who was currently calling their games was graduating uh, the following year. So my freshman year, I just kind of hung out. And then sophomore, junior, and senior years, I got to call uh, the, the athletics for football, baseball, and basketball there at the school I was, I was at. That's awesome. Okay, now fill in the gaps from you know, college, college athletics mm -hmm. to you graduate college and fill in the gaps between graduating Mississippi College and here you are, the radio voice sure. of the Atlanta Braves. A lot of bus rides. <laughs> uh, I, I did six years of minor league baseball. I was about to say, so you were a minor leaguer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the, the first job I got was with, a, with an independent baseball team. There is zero money in independent baseball. I mean, you're, you're, a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, you know, roommates on the road, bad hotels. That You, you imagine it. That's what it is. Uh, there were clubhouses that our team had that was literally a room with nails on the wall, and that's where they hung their stuff. So I did a year of that, and then um, I used that to get a job with the A-ball team of the Padres, which was in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So I moved all the way out to Eugene, Oregon. I met a lot of really cool people, people who are very much unlike me. You know, you got a kid from the middle of, of Mississippi and going to Oregon, um, so it was a very different culture, but it was fun. People were great. And I spent a year there. And then, as fate would have it, the double-A team for the Braves, which used to be in Greenville, South Carolina, moved to Pearl, Mississippi. And so that's 20 minutes from where I grew up. And uh, a buddy of mine was going to be their broadcaster, and he said, come on back home. Uh, this is going to be my last year. I think he did their broadcasting for a couple of seasons, married with kids and all that. And he said, I'm tired of the traveling come be my number two guy, and then the following year you can jump in. So that's how I got into the Braves organization was through their double-A team. And in 2007, I was there. I did the middle three innings for home games. And then the very next year, it was it was my show. I was doing solo broadcasts every night, all nine innings, and um, 08, 09, and 10. And uh, it, was, it was really fun how it worked out. 08, we won the, the league with a, a bunch of guys who eventually made it to the big leagues. It was Johnny Venters and Chris Medlin and Tommy Hansen and uh, all those guys. They were great. And then um, I, I was able to, to network with the team in Atlanta, and they eventually invited me down to call some spring training games. And that's how I uh, got in front of people with the Braves, and they liked my work at spring training. And they told me that the following year they, they were going to have an opening for the pregame and the postgame show. And so I jumped at that, and I was getting to do – uh, fill in play by play okay. at the big league level. So I did that for about nine years, pregame, postgame, then some play by play, and then they promoted me into the booth. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. That's awesome. Well, thanks for what you do. You do a great job. Thank with you. It. Um, yeah, no, seriously, I uh, 
just I, I look around the room and I can speak for myself, but I think I speak for a lot of people that the past few years especially have been hard mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And baseball has been a bright moment of joy uh, in some dark times for yeah. a lot of people, myself included. And your calls specifically have been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for what you do. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was going to ask you, if you're not a sportscaster, what would you be? It sounds like you don't even have an answer to that question. I, you know, <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed uh, working out and stuff like that. Maybe I'd own a gym or something or who knows. I, I got uh, family members who are kind of all over the road with what they do. I, I could see myself doing anything from working on one of the farms back home to doing construction to running a all that kind of these are all jobs that i did sure growing up sure maybe it would have been something like that gotcha glad we'd have to find out <laughs> i am too i am too um when you think about your time with the braves you know we we know i was talking with uh with daisy who does our social media and she was like spoiler alert i'm gonna totally throw you under the bus she's like if i get an autograph from ben would that be okay i'm like yeah he'd totally be fine with that she's like if i ask him to sign is this happening? It is as the autograph line. I'm like, he, he it won't be, be the first time. Right <laughs> <So>. <laughs> He'd probably be yeah. totally fine with that. Yeah. You know, we know that call. Um, I, I, one of my personal favorites is when Ozuna came up after his DUI this year and you're like, it's Ozuna. <laughs> Got a little bit Braves. of trouble for that. <laughs> Did you really? A little tad. But I think once they saw the positive reaction on social media, they're like, Okay, never mind. That was that was the only appropriate. Like there was no winning answer except for that one. You found yeah. a winning answer in a losing situation. It, it was it was it kind of just <laughs> fell out. I mean, it was the talk of everything that had gone on. And our one of our outfielders, if you don't remember, he got a DUI, and uh, on, on the police cam footage, he, he said, "I'm Ozuna from the Braves," as if like that was going to get him off or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of funny, and we all kind of laughed at it, and. You know, I know Marcel. I don't know him, but you know what I mean? I, I know what kind of a personality he is, and it just kind of fell out of my mouth. And like, at, Sometimes when you're on the air, you'll have a, like a lightning bolt flash in your head of, of an idea to, to say something. And sometimes you don't think, was this a good idea or a bad idea? And I said it, and I have a, th- I have a theory that because it was a Sunday in the middle of August, there's nothing else going on in the sports world. So I think that's why it blew up all over social media. I mean, it was on like Barstool and stuff like that. I couldn't believe it. It was great. So when he came to the plate, I just repeated what he told the police officer. I said, here's Ozuna from the Braves, which is what, that's, that's how he introduced himself. So that's how I introduced him. And... <laughs> It was, the, that was um, the best. It was it was the best. It, it was the best. Too much, it, wasn't too it was just subtle enough. And um, there's a rule for us that if you say anything that might be negative about somebody on your team, uh, you better be down in the clubhouse or at the batting cage the next day. You can't mm. say something and then hide. Mm. Okay. You got to be down there in case if anybody wants to tell me something, anybody wants to pull me aside, here I am, and I'm down there fairly reason uh, at a reasonable time every day anyway but um i went down there just to make sure it was at the cage it was next to the dugout nobody said anything and we get about a month down the road and we're in seattle and um some of us are hanging up uh, hanging out at the uh, the bar after a game one night at the hotel we're at and i'm i'm sitting there with three or four players and one of our our pitchers just out of nowhere says dude Ozuna from the Braves? <laughs> I said, yeah. And he said, 
that was hilarious. <laughs> and the, he said the whole team thought it was funny, even Marcel. So, um, for, I, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Sure. That was my biggest concern. I told our people, if I need to apologize, I will. I didn't mean to embarrass him. And I could understood if he had taken exception to that. I'd, I would apologize, of course. But I, I thought fans thought it was funny and it was taking advantage of the moment. Has, has a player ever asked you to meet him in the parking lot after you've made a call on the radio? No. Okay. That's never. I, I did have one time where <laughs> we were. This is kind of funny. So we were <laughs> we were playing. Uh, this is minor league ball. I think we're in Montgomery or somewhere, and the game may have gone 14, 15. It was a long night. There's nobody in the stands. And you can imagine those minor league parks, the, the press box is a lot closer than the ones in the big league parks. And I'm calling the game, and game ends. And it was Brandon Beachy, if you remember him. He mm-hmm. was on the mound. And after the game, he said something about, um, hey, that, that uh, first pitch I threw to so-and-so in whatever inning. It's like, yeah. He's like, that was a curveball. It wasn't a changeup. It's like. You could hear me. He's like, I could hear every word you're saying. There's nobody, <laughs> nobody in there. And of course, in the minor league parks, you don't, you know, you're a lot of times you're just kind of just judging on what you see, and it's not easy to differentiate a curveball from a changeup from your vantage point. But I love that he could hear everything I was saying and corrected me on what pitch he threw. That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to get to my original question, but we're chasing rabbits, so we might as well keep doing it. Do you pre-prepare any of the stuff that you say, like for the World Series? Did you think, is this happening? It is. Kind of pre-think that through, or is it all spontaneous? That well, when a call like that happens, every every like home run or big play or whatever, that's all spontaneous. Okay. That just what comes out is what comes out. Uh, but when you have time to think about a call, you can't help but not to. But there's a difference there. Um, you know, I think about there's there's two instances in our World Championship run that that happened that is perfectly uh, fits what you're talking about. When we uh, beat the Dodgers to, to advance to the World Series. It's the ninth inning, and we're this is this is about to take place. And I I'm thinking, and it's weird that you would think like this while you're actually calling a game, but I know that the call is coming. I know that we're about to win this thing. And the thing that sticks out to me all year long, because Hank Aaron passed away in January of that year, his number 44 was painted into the grass all season long. And I thought to myself, you know, it would be really cool if I somehow mimicked in this call I'm about to make Milo Hamilton's call for mm. the night that Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. That's cool. And in Milo's call was there's a new home run king and it's Henry Aaron. Well, I said, well, there's a new champion of the National League and it's the Atlanta Braves. So it wasn't word for word, but it was, it was kind of a, a tip of the cap to Hank uh, to Milo, previous broadcasters, that kind of thing. And I just thought it was a way to infuse previous events, previous history into what I was doing. And then for the World Series call, we're, we, Freddie hit a home run in the top of the seventh. Yep. I think he made it seven to nothing. So this, this thing is over. Mm-hmm. And you, you hate as a broadcaster when you have time to think about what's going to Because I don't like to pre-prepare anything. I like for it all to be spontaneous. But in, in that moment, you can't help it because you know you're about to win the World Series, and what you say in those, you know, 10 to 30 seconds after the final out is going to be replayed a million times. And all I could think of was, I, I can't believe this is happening. And I, I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to say something like that. I just, just make sure the shock of this is what 
is translated over the air. Because three months earlier, we were dead. I mean, we didn't have yeah. a winning record until yeah, yeah, August yeah, yeah, yeah. the 9th. That's right. That's right. So it, it was, I mean, it's hard to win a World Series, but it's really hard when you don't have a winning record to August. It was so improbable. And right before, when there was a, I think Yuli Gurriel was a final out. I think he had a, a foul ball to make it 0-2. And that's when the words popped into my head, like, is, is this happening? And there's the ground ball to short, and, and that's what came out. And I was so glad that it did because um, it, your, your brain is just working at a, at a rate where you know it's got to be perfect. And my thought was, I want to get everything historically accurate about this call. I want people to be able to listen to this in 100 years and know the date, know where we are, know how many games the World Series took place in, who we beat. Um, and have the year. I wanted the. I wanted time stamped with the year. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say the Braves are world champions. I want to say 2021. I wanted the year time stamped on that. And I just felt like if I could do all that and get it historically accurate, I just wanted to shut up and then just kind of let it breathe. And we. I ended up having the worst hangover I've ever had, but it was at the same time the best <laughs> best hangover I've ever had the next day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. So the original question now, other than that call, other than you know, I think of Jorge Soler's homer and talking about that thing going supersonic, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. What are some of the calls through your career that stand out to you as I'm really proud of that call? Um, there's a couple of them that stand out. Um, we had a, a game against the Brewers one year, and this was um, this is when I was kind of back and forth between doing pregame, postgame, and the booth. I think I was doing maybe half the games that season. And... Um, we're tied with the Brewers going to the bottom of the 10th. They got Josh Hader on the mound. Freddie comes up, and he crushes one in the chop house. We win the game. And I had this call that I've had people come up and tell me. It said, that might be the best call I've ever heard. Mm. Like, if that had happened in a playoff game, it would have been even more elevated. But I just, as the ball's going out, I lose the ball, like, in the lights. So... What do I say? I say, did he just turn out the lights? Mm. And he did, and they won the game. And I just loved how that just came together. And it, you know when you nail the call. And, and that one was a fun one. Um, I'll, I'll give you another one that this was, it's kind of contradicts what I said a little while ago. It might be the only time I've really ever planned out a home run call. Um, 2021 World Series. We are playing on Halloween night. This was game five, where if, if we win that night, we win the whole thing. And uh, I, I still maintain that we save lives by losing that game and winning in Houston rather than winning in Atlanta because the battery was slammed that night. <clears throat> but that morning, I'm hanging out with my girlfriend, and um, you know it's Halloween, so like she had a Halloween playlist on. And you've, you've heard the Halloween song, the, the Monster Mash. He did the Monster Mash. I said... If somebody hits a home run tonight, <laughs> I'm going to say they hit a monster mash. And she's like, that's the corniest thing I've ever heard. I was like, I swear I'm going to do it. It's like, you will not. I'm like, well, let's see. Here, co- here comes Adam Duvall. Sure, sure enough, <laughs> it was a home run. And nobody really, I don't think anybody really picked up on it because, you know, it, it could be a, a home run call for any date. But it kind of fit in with Halloween. And so I did it almost as like a joke with her. Because I knew she was listening, and she just wrote this text like, "I can't believe that." <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got said he hit a monster match, and I always we we got a big kick out That's of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
So we talked about favorite calls. You get to hang out with, you know, not just players, but coaches. You get to hang out with executives. You, you, you hang out. You hang out with lots of Braves personalities. Who are some of your favorite personalities throughout the years that you've gotten oh, to man. Um, Well, t- to tell you one right now, and this guy's new on the block, but Spencer Strider mm-hmm. is about as interesting of an individual. Do you see Spencer right back here in the uh, Burgundy Toboggan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect mustache. He, he's something else, and I just hope we have him in our uniform for 15 years because yeah. he is, yeah, yeah. he is, um, he's so unpredictable. He's, he's, he's extremely humorous. He's kind of nerdy, but he, at the same time, he, it, it's, he's, he's a cool guy. And for a guy who's 22, 23, um, he's an old soul. So we did a, a long form interview back this, this past season and we got to talking about everything from music to whatever. And it's like, I was talking to somebody who was my age or older, which was really cool. So he's, he's a, a fun uh, guy for me. Um, certainly miss Freddie. He was mm. a, a one of a kind. There are just some players who are special and you're just glad to get to call their games. He was one of those guys for me. Another guy is who I get to work with now, uh, who, who was phenomenal as, as a player was Peter Moylan. Okay. Because I don't know if it's the accent or whatever else, but Pete has one speed and it is full speed ahead. There, there's no chill mode for Pete. And he, he comes into the room, and there's just this explosion of energy, whether it was when he was a player or broadcasting now. Um, he's certainly on that list of great personalities to hang out with. Um, that, that'd probably be my short list right there. I love the catchers. Uh, McCann, uh, our current guys now. I mean, Travis Darno is hilarious. Uh, but those guys always have a, a bit of wisdom that maybe you've never thought of. And that can go all the way to a guy like Chipper. Chipper gotcha. is, is as intelligent as intelligent of a baseball player as I've ever been around. His baseball IQ is just off the charts. I wasn't I wasn't there for this moment, but I've heard the story told before. Where back in 2010, I think it was, uh, our team had played a game that day, and a lot of the guys around in the clubhouse after the game. And the Phillies, had they're playing their game. They had Roy Halladay on the mound. He throws a, a perfect game that night. Well, as the story goes, is that Chipper's in the clubhouse, and the whole team's watching to see if he's going to throw this perfect game. And Chipper's just watching the game, and he's calling what every pitch is going to be. Wow. And they said he was 100% accurate. Wow. Fastball away. Curveball in. Here comes a cutter. Uh, that kind of thing. He's going to try to get him to foul off this first pitch on, on this breaking ball. And they said he did that for an inning and a half, and he was spot on. Wow! And that kind of stuff is is pretty awesome. That's so awesome. That's that'd be my list. If y'all don't listen to uh, Behind the Braves Booth as a podcast, you need to. So I think about Peter Moylan. I think about that episode yeah. that y'all did, um, asking Peter Moylan's opinion on the Outback Steakhouse as an Aussie. Right. That was right. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then Peter's story about. Uh, having too much to drink one night and buying a Jeep off of eBay. <laughs> off eBay, yeah. And waking, waking up the next day to like a call from the seller being like, hey, when are you coming to pick up this Jeep? He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That was that was awesome. Yeah, that was he, great. he's amazing. And uh, some of y'all have asked why we have RC Cola and Oreos set out. Why do we have RC Colas and Oreos set out? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I think about it. Like, um, So Joe, we'll gravitate towards anything that works. I guess we can be pretty superstitious. And Joe, my broadcasting partner, hit, first off, I, I don't know anybody, I'm talking nobody, 
who has a bigger sweet tooth than Joe. Joe, I mean, cookies, cake, brownies, what he'll crush it. And, and the guy's 6'4", and he never puts on any weight, and he just rolls through sweets. I, I told him, I want to be your dentist, because I'd be loaded if I was your <laughs> dentist. But he's got this pack of Oreos that he just rolls through, and they became rally Oreos. Well, when we start talking about stuff like that on the air, fans love it. And they'll send us emails. They'll mail Oreos to the ballpark as if we, we can't go get our own, that kind of thing. Um, but my, uh, my girlfriend, had, she went and got this gigantic jar. I swear the thing's this tall. And she went and bought about 10 packs of Oreos and filled the whole thing up. So it became our, our rally jar. All right. So anytime we got sixth inning or later, we needed a rally. Joe'd say it's time for the double stuff Oreos and the rally cookies, and he started. And, <laughs> and they worked. Like we, he'd eat Oreos, and then we had like a three run inning, and it's, so it we kept doing it. So that was the the battle cry, I guess, of 2021 was the Oreos, and then this year, we're playing in Oakland, which is a really weird place to begin with. Uh, there's nobody at the games. The stadium is a million years old. And it's just usually with these, these ballparks we go to, there's whatever you want to drink, water, tea, coffee, soft, they got it all there. Joe asked for a, a Coke one time from the press box attendant near the game, and she she brought him an RC Cola. <laughs> like, what a random <laughs> selection to be in Oakland, it, California. It took me two stores in LJ to find RC, yeah. so I didn't even find it on the first well, try. come to find out, we went walking through the stadium the next day, and at the concession stand, they got it on tap. <laughs> We got RC on tap at the Oakland Coliseum, which I think it's hysterical. Uh, but that's what she brought him, and we we had a, a comeback win that night. And you know, RC Rally Cola that became the thing. So that who knows what will come up with in 2023. Uh, stay tuned because I'm sure we'll come up with some zany product that becomes our, our rallying cry. That's awesome. All right. So speaking of 2023, what do you uh, what do you think about the team this year? What's your projection for how things are going to go? We got a good bunch. Um, it, it, you know, we'll see what happens at short. Um, that's probably my biggest concern right now sure. because shortstop is such a critical position. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't have to have the best shortstop in the league to, to win, but you need a really good shortstop. And we've had one. And I'm going to miss Dansby not only on the field but off the field. Um, I love the career he's starting to come around to. I love the person that he is. I think he's such a, a special player, and I'm going to be rooting for him from afar. There's just some guys that you have yes. that you root for, them, yes. no matter what happens. And Dansby's one of those guys for me. Uh, respect him a lot as an individual and certainly as a player. So there'll be some questions there, but you know, I'll be really interested to see who steps up and who answers that challenge outside of that i think we've got a very very complete ball club i can't wait to see michael harris for a full season uh very excited about sean murphy behind the plate mm -hmm. with travis darno uh excited to see what spencer strider could be for an entire season in the rotation uh matt olson's second season in atlanta i think he's more comfortable now and now he doesn't have to worry about the shift anymore so maybe his batting average goes up and uh austin at third is just uh, he's a superstar now. I mean, he's an MVP candidate. I think he, he might be the best player on our team. But um, you have Ozzy back healthy. Yep. He, he missed, you know, 100 games last year or whatever it was. So having all those guys healthy, I think Russell be, would be great at the mm -hmm. end, the, uh, the back end of the bullpen. It's a great addition last year, and he can be your closer this year. And uh, all those other guys in the pen are rock solid. So I think we're going to be really good. Thing is, the division is really good. I mean, we saw the Phillies get hot last year and what they did and how good the Mets were and what it took to, to beat them last year. 
Uh, the Marlins will be improved. Um, so it, it's a really good division, and it's it, it's funny because you had a team last year that finished third, yet they got in in the Phillies, and they went to the World Series. So it's a, it's a competitive division, but I that makes it fun to me. So I think it's going to be another good year. That's awesome. So you mentioned shift going away. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what's your opinion on some of the rule changes that have come down the pike? If you ask my, my broadcasting partner, he'll hate it. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry. He'll love it. He, 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 he hated the shift. I have a fundamental issue with the league mandating how you can get out. If I want to put six guys in left field, I do that at my own risk. Yep. So I want to be able to do that. And I know that there are some people that say, well, the, the shift is, um, you know, that's a new school thinking. It really isn't. I, I, I was listening to, and I'm a, a broadcasting nerd. I remember this past year I found on YouTube there are complete broadcasts of Red Barber calling Brooklyn Dodgers games. And this is from 1950. And he's talking about the shift. He, he called it an overshift mm. uh, on the broadcast at Ebbets Field in 1950. So we're talking about over 70 years ago. And they were still doing variations of that. Guys have always looked for extra ways that they can cut a corner, get an out, whatever it may be. So to put restrictions on that, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of that because I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. And if I'm the batter, okay, well, I've got the whole right side of the infield open. Let me try to go the opposite way. Easier said than done. But it's all strategy, and I just think that it's it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction and an overcorrection to eliminate the shift. I know that's a really good debate. There are a lot of people who would go the opposite way with good points, I'm sure. Um, but that was that was my thought on on the shift rule. I'm a uh, I'm a nerd. I went to engineering school. We were talking about this a little bit before we got started, and so I've always appreciated baseball for some of the nerdiness that comes out. If that makes sense, the analytics department figuring yeah. out which which hitters pull or push, and I don't know. I I fear that some of that is going away with the rule change. Right. Still going to be sold out watching baseball. Sure. But and, and and here's the thing: we'll do this. We'll sample it. We'll see what happens. And there could be another correction to that. Sure. Um. That's. I mean, you, you look at the the grand scheme of things with baseball. And and really, we've been doing this for over a hundred years. Look at how look at the dimensions of ballparks, weights of bats. Uh, the way that the that the uniforms look compared to how they used to be worn, everything across the game has phases and changes and such. Uh, the pitchers would argue that it, everything that happens benefits the hitters <laughs> from the, from the mound being lowered and fences coming in and things like that. But uh, you know, we'll see. What about the pitch clock? Speaking of pitchers, well, um, that'll be interesting, and I'm not against that. Totally. I do agree that there's there might be a... I don't think we have an issue when it comes to length of game. I think we have an issue with pace of play, perhaps. Because you'll watch... An, uh, I'll, we'll watch the NFL games this Sunday. Those games will be between three and four hours. Nobody ever complains about the length, time-wise, uh, of a college or pro football game. So I don't think that's necessarily the issue. But I think when it comes to creating more action. That's what they're looking to move along. And and certainly we used to have a day and age where games are two and a half to three hours. Now they're, you know, three. If we get a, a sub-three-hour game, we're celebrating. And um, I don't think that's squarely on the players. I think some of that is on the umpires. I, my, my, I call more strikes. Uh, give me a strike zone that is not the size of a keyhole. Um, I remember when I – and this is apples to or, – this is apples to bicycles, really. When I was <laughs> – when I was umpiring, when I was in college and such, and uh, I'd umpire little league and high school games, and I'm I was knees to, to letters, 
fist to either side of the plate at a pretty big strike zone. But if you're climbing, swing the bat. Uh, put the bat on the ball. That's going to keep the game moving along. So that'd be a way to, to pick up the pace of play. But I've, I've spoken with some of my minor league buddies who are calling games, and they have used the pitch clock for the last season or so. And they all say, you're going to love the pitch clock because it's going to keep the game moving along. So I'm excited to see what that looks like and what the grand effect is on the game. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so we've talked cigar and beverage pairings. We've talked your career. We've talked Braves baseball a little bit. Um, we're about to get to some questions from our from our folks. Uh, before we do that, I wanted to ask for a fourth category of question, and that's really about your faith and your work. So on your Twitter bio, you've got Colossians 3, 14 through 17 referenced. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for those of you listening at home or listening here, that verse says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect <clears throat> harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, why did you put that in your Twitter bio, and why is that passage of Scripture significant to you? It, it just checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, you know, being a Christian, I, I don't certainly doesn't mean you got to be perfect by any means, because I'm not, and I think that's the whole point. And I, anytime I read that, it um, it really highlights kind of what I want to live. And if, if you take it verse by verse, and if you got three minutes, I can take it to church right quick. Um, I think about the first one, above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think sometimes we, we think of love and being loving as almost being soft. And I don't think it's like that at all. So to me, what that means is, is, is helping people around you, helping people who uh, don't have the advantages that you do, people who are less fortunate than you. Uh, do whatever you can to help folks around you and be a positive person in their life. Uh, be a brother to them. I think if everybody were, were being a brother to each other, the people you come in contact with, that doesn't necessarily mean preaching to them or anything like that, but just showing a, a positive outlook and trying to help folks as much as you can. I think that's a great way to live your life, uh, no matter what you believe. You know, the next verse says, uh, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, uh, to which indeed you are called in one body. The word, the older I've gotten, the word peace is, is one of my favorite mm. words. Because having day-to-day -day peace, knowing you did the right thing, knowing that you, you, you uh, were good to people, that gives you peace in your life, and peace and peace of mind. And I think that's priceless. Um, I know what it's like to do the wrong thing. I've done it an infinite amount of times, and I know how, how little peace you have uh, when you do things the wrong way or treat people the wrong way and how that eats at you. And so I, I just love having peace in my life and knowing that I did things the way that uh, I should do them. Um, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and, and thankfulness in your heart. That, that's that's a day-to-day that's a -day, um, challenge, I feel. And I'll admit, I don't read the Bible every single day, but I feel like I, I get in it a pretty good amount. And even if it's just a little bit, it just it's, it's a beacon light. And it helps me to stay on track with uh, renewing my mind, what's important. Uh, not looking inward too much because I, I know myself I can look inward a lot be selfish uh, What's the best thing for me? And to me that's a challenge to look outward and, and you know do things for other people and then finally This is my favorite part in this final verse It says in whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God 
the Father through Him. The first four words of that are so meaningful to me. Mm. And whatever you do, to me, there's, there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in you are created in this world and you've got so many options. You have so many things you can do with your life. You have so many people you can come into contact with. And, and I think sometimes there are people who get so caught up in you have to do this, 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 and this to be a Christian. And, and maybe that's true to a degree. But I like that it's whatever you do. That means think about the things that you're talented at. Think about the things that you are blessed with and the, and the gifts that you have and finding ways to use those things for good, to help people, um, to do the best that you can. And I just love the freedom that those first four words give in whatever you do, leaving the decision up to you. You can do whatever you want with your life, but whatever those things are, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's why I put that in there. And I just hope that it's, um, it's something that reflects what I believe because I, I know you, know, you might have a lot of Twitter followers or things like that and what's been think about this or that and that's cool but I want what I do to be whether I succeed or fail daily I want it to be as much of a reflection of good a reflection of Christ a reflection of love as as I can because that's where I feel the goodness in my life comes from and the blessings in my life come from so practically speaking, you know, there's this, I think, false dichotomy in the Christian world. We talk about secular callings and Christian callings. Like, I'm, I serve as a pastor in addition to owning this place. And so people are like, oh, you do Christian work. You, you're in ministry. It's like, yeah, but this is, this is an extension of that. This is ministry. When I'm yeah. learning what somebody wants to smoke, when I'm hearing somebody's story, those aren't detached from me serving the Lord. Those are extensions of me serving sure. the Lord. What does that look like for you as a broadcaster? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like in the world that we're in, I've got a, a world around me of people that I can be positive force in their life. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm trying to minister to everybody or invite everybody to church. I just want to be somebody that, that they enjoy being around, somebody that they can count on, somebody that, that has a good name and a good reputation and those kinds of things. I had somebody tell me one time that when it comes to witnessing for Christ, they said, do that through your actions and if necessary, use words. And I've always liked that, uh, where if, if people see how you are day to day and see how you are in your life, life can be really, really hard. And I think all of us to some degree in our life have had really tough days, dark days. I know I have. Uh, but I feel like the, the strength that I get from uh, being a Christian gets me through whatever life has in front of me. And um, to me, if I, were, if I were alone in that, if I were just dwelling within myself and I didn't have that, there's plenty of things that have happened in my life that I don't know how to made it through. Mm. And um, fortunately, that's, you know, I, I read in Psalms and it talks about the Lord is my stronghold, the mm. Lord is my shield, the Lord is my rock and my place of, of uh, my fortress. And there's, there's protection there. There's, you know, Jesus walked on this earth. He understands how hard this is. Mm. And, and that's what, you know, I grew up in a Christian household, but that's not why I chose to be a Christian. I chose to be a Christian because of what I read about Christ. And, I, and I, he'd be a dude like us. He'd be in there hanging out, having normal conversation, not some guy walking around in a robe saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, and judging everything that you do. That, that's not what I perceive when I read. And... Um, that uh, was that an amen? From that was an there? amen yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So <laughs> the uh, that, that's that's the kind of life I want to live. And I think for the people who are around me, they they'd say that um, 
you know, why you fail. Life is, you know, trial and error. But at the same time, if you could maintain your focus, if you can keep your scope and keep your sights on, on what is good, then you're going to follow that. And, uh, you know, the more people see that, maybe you can help them at a bad time and vice versa. And that's, that's how we get through life together in my mind. That's awesome. That's awesome. How, tell me about your, your upbringing. How did you come to know the Lord? What was it like growing up in a Christian house? You just give me, some of the, give me some of the background, Ben. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I said my dad was a real estate agent. He was first a, a pastor. So that <laughs> there was and a you lot survived. Of, you still love the Lord. That's amazing. There was a lot of discipline in our house. <laughs> and uh, probably too much. And I always pressed those rules. I was rebellious by nature and did all the things that you shouldn't do, I guess. Um, but I had to learn for myself. I've always been the kind of person that if you tell me don't go over there, I need to go over there so I can learn for myself why you don't want me to go over there. Um, so that was I was always pushing back. But growing up, um, if the doors of the church were open, we had to be there, uh, good and bad. Um, it, bad meaning if I had to sing in the choir or things like that. I, I hated singing in the choir, um, and I, which is funny because I love music and I like to sing and I play guitar and all that. But it just wasn't my thing. But growing up, that was um, it was a very it was a strict household, and I think sometimes that comes with a negative connotation. In my case, it wasn't necessarily that. I, my parents were raising me to be on my own one day, and I needed that foundation. And I think my parents did a good job of knowing the three of us individually, myself, my sister, my brother, and applying that to what they viewed we needed. And they knew I was going to be stubborn and hard-headed and make a lot of mistakes, much more so my, than my brother and sister. So I think that's, and that now is the oldest. So they, they really kind of uh, made sure that we were um, fully saturated with a growing up in a Christian home and things like that. And I certainly had a wild, rebellious period but I'm glad I had that as a foundation to come back to uh, in my adult years. So that's how that was. But it was it was very much not just a, a Christian household, but we were we were sports fanatics. My dad played college baseball. Uh, we were huge baseball fans. Dad did a great job of while we didn't have a, a, a ton of money or anything like that growing up. He always every summer would say we're going to take a trip to this ballpark. We're going to experience this. Uh, city, that kind of thing, and um, I got to. I went, I went to Wrigley Field when I was mm. seven years old. I went to Yankee Stadium when I was thirteen years old, and, and Dad would take us to different ballparks: Atlanta, St. Louis, Boston, uh, and and that that love for sports has always been there in my entire family, and we always liked that together. And maybe that was a big part of me going into it with with broadcasting. But that's how it was growing up, and um, I have a great family and a, and a tight-knit family, and uh, it, it's still a family that is Christ-first, uh, and uh, very much blessed from that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Any uh, words of challenge that you would give to our audience here? I, I, I think the biggest challenge, that, and I can say this just for myself, the biggest challenge I have for myself is forgiving myself sometimes. I think we all struggle sometimes with, oh, I can forgive others. I can, you know, if somebody's wronged me, I can move past that. I don't really have a, an issue with holding grudges too much, but I sometimes have a hard time forgiving myself. It might be too hard on myself. And that's something that we probably all do. But um, I think you just have to know where your salvation comes from, from and, and have faith and strength in that. Mm. It's Jesus. Jesus' is per perfect work for us, yeah. not, not us. Right. Yeah, I, I draw strength from that too. The fact that 
the Lord left heaven, lived perfectly, died and rose for me, not hoping that I would get it together, but knowing that I absolutely had no chance of getting together right. on my own. Right. That, that's, that's given me a lot of comfort and given me a lot of love for the Lord as mm-hmm. I've reflected on that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, final analysis. I know that I talked your ear off and, and got you talking, so you didn't get to smoke a whole lot of that cigar. I know. i got to get back into this how's thing. The, uh, how's, how's the pairing, though, in, in the final analysis? It, it's really well, good. Okay. So th- this, this bourbon you've got is, number one, something I need to get out oh, of my collection. Oh, praise God, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wish, wish I would have uh, gotten a second bottle. Yeah, this, this is really good. So That's I'm awesome. Gonna, That's awesome. And perfect pairing. Any, any, uh, any happy memories from, from this guy, from the cigar? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, the night we won, it's the only cigar that I remember smoking that night. I think I smoked three cigars sure, that night. 100%. I don't remember what the other two 100%. were. <laughs> we, that, was a, that was the party to end all parties right there. We, we, won, <laughs> we won the World Series. We get on a bus to go back to our team hotel, and they had this big ballroom, which I, I, I wonder what would have happened to all the things in there if we had lost. They had, <laughs> they had a dance floor. They had ice sculptures that were the size of that TV of our logo. They had, I mean, food like you wouldn't believe. I remember at one point I picked up a shrimp, and it was like this bottle. It was gi- <laughs> like I'm blown away with the size of this shrimp. Um, and then it was, uh, oh, who was that was in there? Um, oh, shoot. It was a... It was a country singer, and I listen to I listen to old country. I don't listen to Amen. radio stuff today. So you listen to country? I, yeah, <laughs> Waylon and Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson. Those are my guys. Um, I forgot who it was, but uh, you're just looking around. It's like a who's who uh, of who was in uh, that room, and that was just amazing. So uh, great night. And the next day, I, I, don't, I was in a world of hurt, but it was a fun hurt. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And I know that your free time is at a premium as we're a couple weeks away from spring training. But I uh, just want you to know that any time that you need a place to get away, uh, to come and smoke a cigar, have a good conversation, or just be by yourself, you are welcome at the LJ Cigar Lounge. Thank you. We really appreciate you being up here. Y'all give Ben a round of applause for being here with us tonight. Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Burning Questions podcast. We've got more smokes, stories, and substance on the way in future episodes. So be sure to subscribe to the Burning Questions podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us online at burningquestionspodcast.com. And you can email us your questions or your ideas for future episodes at hello at burningquestionspodcast.com. Our current publication schedule is to drop new full-length episodes on the second Monday of each month. So our next episode is scheduled to drop August 14th. Don't be surprised if we leak out some bonus content between now and then. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Burning Questions podcast. Until then, why don't you stop by the LJ Cigar Lounge and visit us yourself? Don't take my word for it. Here was Ben's reaction to his time with us. It's all the recommendation you need. This is just so cool to be here with with you guys who know each other and see each other regularly. And uh, I mean, that's what this is about, you know? And I love it. I'm I'm very envious of of this. So congratulations, and especially to you. Thank you. You put together a really special thing. Thank you. Thank you.